a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal life, of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed. Excuse me. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. 
Father, as your word opens to us this morning, challenge us and convict us, convince us of the glory of your gospel, convince us of our need to participate in learning and growth and battling for the faith. Do the work that only you can do. Honor your holy name. Honor your holy word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, looking at the first three quarters of this book, I called you to fight. Now, that's not to have foolish and selfish conflicts, but it was a call to fight for the faith. Verses 3 and 4 of Jude say, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. If you recall, we saw that Jude called the people to contend for, to fight for the faith. And a good point for us to realize here is that Jude wasn't writing to a school full of theologians. He was writing to the church. It is the responsibility of every member of the church to fight for the faith. That means you. That means me. And we cannot get out of our responsibility with excuses. Jude wanted them to fight, to battle, to contend for the one true gospel. And from verses 4 to 19, Jude told the people why it is that they ought to fight for the faith. There were false teachers in the church. They were using the grace of God as a license to sin. They were denying the person and work of Jesus. They were failing morally. They were failing doctrinally. And Jude wanted the people to fight against that. Jude described the danger of such false Christians. He showed how they would be the kind of people who would flatter and they would mislead people in the church by persuasion and by just friendships and cliques and power plays and how those people were destined for the wrath of God. So we heard the call to fight and we saw why to fight for the faith. But now the question comes, how do we deal with this? How do we do this in our own church? And we'll see it in verses 20 to 25. Now, I'm going to give you three main points. And so if you're a note taker, outline maker, three points are what we'll have today. Follow along. Do what God calls you to do here to help you listen well. And let's learn how to fight for the faith. And so first point you're going to write down, verses 20 and 21. Fight for the faith by protecting yourself. Fight for the faith by protecting yourself. Look at 20 and 21 in Jude. By the way, during this, I'm going to read a lot of other verses of Scripture this morning. The best thing to do would be to write them down and look them up later because you won't have time to go back and forth all the time. But Verses 20 and 21 say this. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, Pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, 
the, the central command of those two verses, the central call, is one point. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That is the key emphasis in these two verses. And then how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? How do we protect ourselves from the dangers that Jude just listed for the last 19 verses? Three things. Building yourselves up, praying, and waiting. So let's look at this real quick. In verse 20, in order for us to keep ourselves in the love of God, it says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. This is how you stay in the love of God. Build yourself up in your holy faith. Now, this could be a few things. But it certainly includes knowing the truths of the faith. Remember, verse 3 called us to defend or contend for the faith that was once and for all handed down to the saints. Now, verse 20 says, build yourself up in that faith. And you know what that means? You've got to know what it is. got to. Or you... There's no way you can defend a faith you don't get, right? So, you and I have to know theology. We have to. Now, remember again, please, these weren't seminary students that were receiving this letter. They were common, everyday church members, people, just simple folks. But for those people to be safe... They had to build themselves up in their faith. Now, what do you do in order to do that? You're going to have to be a person who, according to your shape, according to your abilities, according to the way God has made you, you're going to have to become a person who studies the faith. And that means that you've got to find the way that matches your personality to learn as much as you can about the faith. You need to grow in the depth of the knowledge you have of the true gospel. Study the Bible. And then not just passively. Don't just drop a couple verses in your lap every day and go on. But no, you're going to need to really get in and learn as best you can. Read good books by solid Christian authors if you're the kind who, could, who is a reader. But for certain, for certain, join with the church, connect with others, know the gospel. This is what we've got to do if we're going to contend for the faith. Now let's talk for a second, because of all the things I can help you do right now related to that, being sure that we end up on the same page as to what the Bible's ultimate message is, and what, what the gospel is, that we can do right here and right now. So, let's discuss this for a second. If you want to know what the holy faith is we're supposed to be building ourselves up in, let's start with God. Here's a truth, and again, if you want to write it down inside how to, what the faith is, you can. It starts with the concept of this. God is holy. Revelation 4.8 is a great verse to tell you that. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The Bible teaches us that there is a God and that God is holy. And whole books can be written and have been written to disclose to us what it means that God is holy. But to make it really simple, there are two things about holiness you and I need to understand. First, God's holiness indicates His purity and His perfection. God is in no way tainted by sin. He is in no way guilty of failure. And He cannot be tainted by sin or corrupted by failure. 
But also, we need to understand that God's holiness indicates a mark of separation between God and everything else. God is, as R.C. Sproul once put it, a cut above all other things. God's holiness means that He outranks you and me as far as the heavens are above the earth or as far as the east is from the west. God is infinite and infinitely perfect and we are not like Him in that regard at all. So start with this understanding of God if you want to grasp the gospel. There is a God, He's perfect and He's way bigger and way better and way greater than any one of us. You with me so far? Okay, two of you are. Thank you. (laughs) By the way, if you just nodded at me, (laughs) it don't work. Now, next thing you need to know. God's holy. All people have sinned and are under God's wrath. Some verses for that. Romans 3, starting at verse 9, says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Or verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the beginning of Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, what we earn for our sin, is death. So here's the thing you got to know. You and I, we're sinners. None of us has ever done all the good we should to live up to the perfection of God. And all of us have done wrong things that separate us from an infinitely perfect God. And our sin earns us the judgment and the punishment from God that we deserve. And that punishment is something we cannot survive We have offended the infinite holiness of God. We have earned a forever punishment. And if we were left here, we would have absolutely no hope. So aren't you glad the story doesn't end here? Second, another thing to learn, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do on our own to be made right with God. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law... By doing good deeds, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I once asked a group of children, why did God give all the laws and the rules in the Old Testament of the Bible? And my children know the answer because they were accustomed to this. God gave the laws and the rules in the Bible so that everybody would know how badly they need to be rescued. That's what the law is for. But we can't obey enough law to get in good with God. So where do we find hope? Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Romans 6.23, I told you, said the wages of sin is death. But it goes on to say the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins... Uh, also suffered for, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Or, a verse we heard this morning in Sunday school, Isaiah 53, 5, simply says, 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. So get this. Our hope lies in one person and in one event in human history. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to earth. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we've all failed to live. And then he died on a cross as a sacrifice to pay the price for the sins of others. On the third day, Jesus came back to life and proved that his work was, work was finished, that it was accepted by God, and that anybody who comes to him in faith and repentance will be forgiven of their sins. Now also understand, God is the one who has to change a sinful heart. John 3.3, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So here's the thing, if we do come to Jesus in order to be forgiven by His finished work, if our trust is there, we learn that it is clearly the work of God and God alone that brought us there. We cannot take credit for our salvation, not even for our belief. But, as we keep talking about the gospel, but you, if you want to be rescued by God, have to repent and to believe in order to be saved. Romans 10 verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Isaiah 55 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon or Luke 13.3, simply put, Jesus says, No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, the command of God on every human being is that we repent, turn away from our sin, and believe. Now, repenting, in, in a major sense, means this. That you decide, you decide that you, would, that you want to obey God and submit to God instead of ruling your own life. That's a real simple way to understand what repentance is here. You make a decision in which you say to God, God, I have decided I'm no longer going to be the one in charge. I want to follow you and I want you to be in charge, not me. Your master, not me. I want to obey you, not me. But also believing indicates that you place your entire trust for your entire eternity in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what it takes to be in the family of God. And since it requires the grace of God for us to believe and to be forgiven, God is the one who gets absolutely all of the glory for anyone's salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And those who have been forgiven by God in this way have a glorious hope. We, we not only have been forgiven by the grace of God, we not only have been changed by the working of God, but we have a glorious hope of a day coming in the future when the Lord Jesus returns to earth physically, bodily, and He returns to reign with His rescued people forever and judge those who have opposed God. A simple way to look at it is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18, which says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How glorious is the day going to be when the Lord Jesus does again come back, when He raises people from the dead and draws His church together to be with Him forever. That's good stuff. So church, that stuff that I just told you, you need to know it. You need to understand it. You need to believe it. You need to work to understand it more and more. You can't just shrug it off. And I hope to goodness that you don't sit here going, oh, that's just the gospel. I know that stuff. Don't do that. It's not good for your soul if you do that. You cannot shrug off your need to know these things. You cannot plead a lack of desire to know all the deep thinking stuff. It is your responsibility to know the truth so that you can be built up in it and defend it. Now, for some of you here this morning, it may be time for you to respond to that truth for the first time. It may be that this morning you need to come to Jesus and acknowledge your need to be rescued from your sins and express trust in Jesus and to turn from selfishness and turn from sin and to ask Jesus, Jesus, please forgive me. This would be a great day for anybody to do that. But for all of us here, we need to learn to fight for the faith by protecting ourselves, by building ourselves up in the faith to keep ourselves in the love of God, as the Word said. Now, the next part in, in this, we're going to go much shorter. But it says, build up, your faith, build up yourself in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, nobody here can protect themselves spiritually without a prayer life. Prayer is your lifeline to God. A faithful life in prayer is a life that demonstrates that you depend on God to accomplish God's will in and through you. And this is what God requires because it glorifies Him. See, it honors God when we turn to Him and say, God, I need you. So don't neglect prayer in this process. We'll talk more about that in another message. Thirdly, at the end of verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This last piece is if you want to protect yourself, look forward to eternity. Think with an eternal mindset. These people that Jude's writing to were already rescued by God. They were already saved. And so the mercy that they're looking forward to is not salvation. Instead, it's the mercy that's going to come on the great day of consummation, on the great day when Jesus returns, when the mercy of Christ is made complete in their lives. 
Folks, an eternal focus, thinking forever, will keep you from much sin and much hardship. So often we fail in life because we get wrapped up in the present. We fail in this life because we get wrapped up in this world and its decaying toys and pleasures. But God, God created this place and, and, and many things that are enjoyable. He really did. But they are just things. They are just creation. They are just supposed to point us toward the Creator. They are never supposed to take the place of the One who made them. And the only way for you to remember this, the only way for you to look at your life and say, God, don't let me get too wrapped up in the here and now. The only way for you to not be, to make the things that, of this world that you love so much, the only way for you not to let them become idols in your heart is for you to set your mind on eternity. You were not created by God to live in a sin-darkened, sin-fallen world forever. You were not made by God to live in a world where health problems aren't solved. You were not created by God to love these temporary toys that are down here. You were created by God for a forever of joy in the presence of His glory. That's why God made you. You know, I can remember thinking, and I bet many of you can too, if you can remember back to high school, I remember thinking, boy, I, I, I want to go to heaven. I want to be with God when I die. But I don't want to go now. I mean, I really didn't want to go before I like, grew up and got married, right? People told me that was good. But you know what? That kind of attitude, that kind of mindset saying, I want to go to heaven, but I want to see this or do this first. That showed how little I understood about my life's purpose. You see, the day that I leave this world and enter into the presence of my God is going to be the greatest day of all eternity for me. It's going to be a day when I fully realize for the first time how gracious God has been to me. It's going to be the day that I see for the first time how holy and awesome and honorable God really is. It'll be when I realize for the first time exactly why I was created. And that is going to be a great day. Do you want to fight against sin? Do you want to fight for the faith? Do you want to build yourself up in your faith? Do you want to... Keep yourself in the love of God. Then focus your mind on forever. Look forward to the coming day of God's fulfillment of all of His promises. And you're going to be less apt to fall into foolish sinfulness in the here and now. So the first key in how you fight for the faith is that you protect yourself. Don't fall into corruption like the false teachers of this book. But keep yourself in the love of God. Now, by the way, here's something interesting. This is important. In verse 1, Jude called the church those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. But here, he tells them, keep yourselves in the love of God. So let me ask you something. Which are they? Which are we? Are we kept by God or do we keep ourselves? The answer is both. 
We keep ourselves in the love of God. That's the command. But when all is said and done, it will all still have been God who kept us. Just like our salvation. Isn't this kind of an amazing thing to try to wrap your brain around? Think about salvation. We come to Christ. We repent of our sin. We take Jesus as Savior. But God's still the one who made it happen. God is the hidden worker, even giving to us the motivation and the faith to do what we feel like we did on our own. Who came to Jesus? Did you come to Jesus or did Jesus get you? Yes. Who's the ultimate bottom line answer? Jesus. But does that mean that you weren't supposed to come to Jesus? No. Beautiful, isn't it? Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, God gives you the want to and the ability to do what you're supposed to do. But you still do, and God still did. And by the way, don't hear me saying this is an equal balance. It's not. It's all God's. It's all God's glory. But that does not remove from us human responsibility. What a deep, deep, lovely truth. This doesn't remove from us any responsibility, but it does help us to see when all is said and done, to whom all the glory for all our good actions and all of our good thoughts ever should go. God is the source. So work to keep yourself in the glory of God and give God all the credit and all the praise for your being kept in His love. That is the first step for you fighting for the faith. Now, let's move on. We can't just focus on ourselves and be godly. You know that, right? This isn't just all about you. You're not the center of the universe, all that good stuff. Second point, verses 22 to 23. Fight for the faith by protecting other Christians. Note takers, fight for the faith by protecting other Christians. Look at 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So things are getting interesting now. The call to protect other Christians is an uncomfortable call. Because you all know, if you grew up in America, that there are two topics you never discuss with people, right? What are they? Politics and religion. We don't get to talk about those things. Those are off limits. Now, even inside the Christian world, even, even inside the churchy world, there's stuff that really is not okay to talk with people about. Because we don't like it when people really start questioning our theology, and we don't really like it when people start questioning our actions or our habits. We want to be part of a church, but it's not natural for us to want somebody to come to us and challenge what we hold to be true doctrine. We don't like it when people come to us and challenge our choices of activities and say, you know what, I think you might be across the line here. We don't like that. But listen, Christians, if you want to be protected and if you want to help other Christians, if you want to fight for the faith, you're going to have to learn to fight by protecting others in the church. Look around. This is your family and you better preserve each other. 
Now, Jude, in these two verses, gives us three ways to protect others. In some of your translations, it'll get squished down into two, but it's really three. And there are three levels of extremity going on. There are three calls to help keep others from false doctrine and to keep others from sin. So take a look first. The first call is the most gentle call. It is gently helping those who are confused. Verse 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. Isn't that sweet, by the way? What's the emphasis here? It's mercy. It's mercy. Not all this fighting for the faith I'm talking about is brutal. It's gentle mercy. There is no excuse for being overly abrasive. Have mercy on some. Specifically, have mercy on some who doubt. See, the false teachers in Jude's day had confused some people. They had caused some people to doubt true doctrine. They were doubting the validity of the gospel. But Jude wants the church to be merciful on those people, to be gracious to those people, to help those people. And as you spend time with fellow Christians, you can do the very same thing. Talk with each other. Talk about doctrine. Talk about the Bible. Talk about the fundamentals of the faith. And if you find somebody in the body a little bit confused... Don't be a jerk. By the way, we can make that a mantra here if we want to. That's an inappropriate word there, but you know what I mean? One of those things like, let's make that normal. That's a catchphrase. Just don't be a jerk. Okay? If you believe something and somebody else here doesn't believe it, that doesn't give you the right to be nasty or arrogant or full of yourself. Right? Be nice. There's a nice way to say, you know what? I think there could be another way to look at that. Don't you think? And just so you know, we Reformed folks have a bad reputation here. And you know what else? We deserve it. Because I've watched. I, I've been the guy before, so don't, don't pretend I'm acting like i got the high ground all the time here. I've watched us at different times be nasty to folks who don't think like we do, who don't understand the doctrines of grace with the clarity that we do. You know what? Praise God if you understand the doctrines of grace. Praise God if you understand Reformed theology. Praise God if you understand credo versus pedo-baptism. All the rest, right? That's good stuff. Good for you. Don't be a jerk about it. Can you not realize... Did, did you just pop into salvation and all of a sudden, perfect theology? You didn't, did you? Hasn't there been a moment or two in your faith when you had to be corrected and realize, you know what, I don't get this doctrine as well as I thought I did? Well, guess what? The people you're dealing with may not have popped perfect as fast as you. Be decent to them. Fair enough? Okay, good. I'll try not to beat you down on that too much, but have mercy. Now, by the way, does mercy mean that we leave people in their confusion? No, not at all. Mercy means that we gently and biblically and lovingly help them to see the truth of the faith. Now, the second level is more abrupt. It involves protecting others by rescuing people in immediate danger. Now, see, there's doctrines that someone can be wrong on and you can let them go for a season. You can, you can talk with them. You can coach with them. You can try to help them through, but you don't have to get them right now. But there's other doctrines that you've got to say, no, we've got to fix this right now. Or there's other sin issues that have to be fixed right now. Verse 23 at the beginning says, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. 
Some people are more than just confused. Some people are dangerously confused. And Jude knows that there are false teachers in that church that have really gotten to some people. And those people are in danger of totally going off the deep end. And Jude wants those people to be rescued. And he compares it to snatching people out of a fire. Now, just real quick, think about this. If your house is on fire and you don't know that it's on fire, you're unconscious of the danger you're not going to be super concerned with whether or not the fireman is gentle as he pulls your body from the blaze, right? Just get me out. Just save me. If you see somebody walking toward a cliff, right? They just tootling along and they just keep walking toward the edge and walking toward the edge. I'm scaring some of you right now, aren't I? Uh, If they're doing that, you're going to yell to warn them. And if they don't listen, if they don't hear you, if they don't believe you, what are you going to do? You're going to go tackle them. Hopefully not forward. Right? Take their knees out so they don't walk off the edge. It's okay. There are some people who aren't just a little confused, but are in deep doctrinal danger. They're believing theological points that could lead them into destruction. Or maybe we're talking about people that are walking into... I mean, I'm not talking about... And again, I hate to categorize this because it takes a lot of wisdom to get here. But but there are certain sins that people need to repent of that, you know what, we don't need to crush them on right now. But there are others... There are other sins that are life killers, that are soul, just just suck the joy and the life out of your soul. They're devastating sins. Jude says, rescue those people. And that means you get involved. You jump in. And again, you might need to be quick. You might need to be serious about this. But it's your job to catch them before it's too late. You're never, ever, ever, ever harsh for the sake of being harsh. But we do have to be strong sometimes to save a life or to save a soul. Make sense? Can you, by the way, are you getting how much wisdom it takes to know the difference in these two? Because just because you like a doctrine doesn't mean it's absolutely important that you dive on people for it. You need the Holy Spirit. You need wisdom. You need grace. You need counsel of elders. On and on. The third level is even more tricky because it says protect others by bringing back those in sin. Verse 23 at the end says, To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So here we go. It's somebody who's already in sin. Their false doctrine or their bad beliefs have led them into sin. And Jude calls for mercy, but it's a fearful and a careful mercy. Why is it fearful? Because you don't want to be led into sin yourself as you try to rescue somebody else. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if any is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Restore people as gently as you possibly can, but also watch out. Be guarded so that you don't become a, a person in trouble in the process. And this is easy to imagine. Sometimes you hear about somebody's sin, And all of a sudden, you're actually tempted by the same sin. That can happen. Um, It's really, really easy because we have minds that love to look into things that we ought not see. To let somebody describe their sin to us in ways we don't need to hear. And there are roads you don't need to go down in order to say, Brother, 
I'm pleading with you to turn from this sin and turn to righteousness. We don't have to hear every gory detail to do that. And sometimes if we listen to every gory detail, we start liking the picture we paint in our own mind of their sin. Don't be that person. Or the other side of the coin is you might be tempted to become prideful as you see them in their sin. Oh, they don't understand it the way I understand it. I'm so wise and they're so slow in their Christian development. It sounds funny, but how many times have you done that? How many times have you watched somebody who's failing and you just think, man, I'm so glad I know better than that. Lord, thank you for not making me like that tax collector. Jesus doesn't speak well of that guy, by the way. Either way, whether you fall into their sin or get prideful that you're not in their sin, either way, you're in sin. So what you've got to see is that there's a call for us to get involved in each other's lives. We have to help the confused. We have to rescue those on the brink of danger. And we have to restore the fallen. And we have to do it all with gentleness. And sometimes, sometimes they're, they're one conversation things. Have you ever had one person, I mean, just think about it, Christian. Have you ever had somebody just walk up to you and say, Hey, I noticed that this is happening in your life and it's probably not good. And you've gone, you're right. It's not good. And you repent. Well, praise God. One conversation and it's over. Other times, we've got to rebuke each other in love. Other times, we've got to go through the formal process of church discipline in order to help somebody come back to the body when they've been in sin. The point is, you work to help fellow Christians. So fight for the faith by protecting others. Do it gently, do it biblically, but do it. Do it out of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and do it out of love for God and God's glory but protect others in the church from sin and from false doctrine. Now, let's move to the close of the letter. There's encouragement for the fight. It's going to scare you how long this is going to seem, but it'll happen fast, okay? Point number three, verses 24 and 25. Fight for the glory of our great God. Fight for the glory of our great God. That's what this is all about here. Look at 24 and 25. Now, To him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Look at the beauty of this benediction. By the way, there are seven things here, at least, that are great to behold. We're going to tell them quick, but I'm going to tell you them, okay? First, talking about God, He can keep you from falling. Now to, able who, to, him, to Him who's able to keep you from stumbling, right? right? Have you ever felt like you just can't avoid messing things up? In Christ, you can. God can keep you from falling. God can keep... Get this. God can and will keep every last saved child of God from ever ultimately falling away. Does that not give you hope? I mean, think about it. I know some of you guys already just a little bit. You're not that good. (laughs) Haven't you recognized how easy it would be to fall away? Have you never doubted? 
I mean, Christians, let's be honest. There are times that doubt just comes. Have you never been walking around or think, where where do you think, wherever it is, have you never gone, what if this is all not real? If you haven't, praise God for you, but a lot of Christians have. I would bet that most of us have wondered before, what if I'm just... What if I'm just bought into what all the lost people think? What, what, if, what if I really have just bought into a man-made system and convinced myself of a lie? Again, if you've never been tempted like that, great, but many Christians have. Aren't you glad to know that even if you doubt, God's going to keep you? Because He's bigger than your doubt. See, He didn't need you to stop doubting to save you. He's the one that changed your heart to believe. And He's not so weak as to lose the heart that He changed. That's a good God. He can keep us from falling. Second, He will present you blameless. Look at this. It just says, and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. Now look, y'all. If there's any word I feel like applies to me in my life, blameless is not it. I know I deserve blame. And it's a lot that I deserve. But Jesus will present me blameless before God. He will take His perfection and apply it to my spiritual account so that I stand before God as perfect, as blameless, as without any guilt to be punished at all. Jesus was, in my place, punished for my sin. And Jesus gave me his righteousness. And Jesus does this for the world full of believers. Every single Christian, every last one, even you, if your faith is in him, he calls you blameless. That's worthy of rejoicing, isn't it? Thirdly, he will bring you into his presence, which is ultimate joy. Again, it says, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. See, being rescued by Jesus is not about rules and regulations and hardship. No, Jesus rescues us and puts in front of us the only possible source of true joy, being the ultimate glory of God. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning, if you missed it. Fourth, that's four fingers, fourth. He is the one and only God and Savior. God is, again, to the only God our Savior. God is the only hope we have. You can't do it by yourself. You can't be rescued by someone or something other than God. You can't do it by yourself. The God who made us is worthy of our worship and He's worthy of our obedience. Fifth, Jesus is the one way to salvation because it says through Jesus Christ our Lord. God saves people in only one way. Please understand this. Please, please, please understand this. There is only one way that anybody who is ever going to heaven gets there and that is through faith in the person and work of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus is it. There's no other way. Sixth, all glories are His. To that God be glory, majesty, dominion and authority. All glory belongs to God. He's worthy of such praise that nothing else on earth compares. No matter how great the greatest beauty you've ever seen or the highest goodness you've ever seen, it is as nothing when compared to God's glory and God's beauty and God's majesty and God's weightiness and God's perfection. And finally, seventh, He is glorious for all time. It says before all time and now and forever. Can you pick a time when that doesn't cover 
God's glory is not a flash in the pan. It has stood. It is standing. It will stand. You know that all human fads and fashions, they fade. Nations rise and fall. Mountains crumble. Giant money-making hotels get built and knocked down. But God and God's perfection stand forever and they're never, ever, ever changed. This is a glorious God and God's glory is worth fighting for. You don't fight for the faith out of pride. You don't fight for the faith to try to make yourself feel better about who you are. You fight out of love for fellow Christians and you fight for the glory of our all-glorious God. So yes, the call is to fight for the faith and to do it by protecting yourself, by protecting others and by living for the glory of our great God. And when you do that, God is going to grant you a life in His presence with joy that lasts forever, even through the hardships. Let's bow together and let's pray. God, your word is so, so good. And we need your mercy. Help us this day, I pray, to fight for the faith. And it may be that for someone here, the way that they fight for the faith is to trust you for the first time. If that's the case, help them do it. And it may be that someone here needs to fight for the faith by repenting of sin themselves. Help them do it. It may be that someone needs to fight for the faith by obeying your commands to join a church or to be baptized. Help them do it. And it may be, it may be that we need to repent of sin, that we need to change our beliefs, that we need to talk to each other more graciously. God, reach into our hearts and reach into our souls with your Holy Spirit and would you apply your word? Because you can do a better job than I can. But help us, God, to contend for the faith and to magnify your glory. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And.